where we bring you progressive voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. Before I give you a rundown on today's program, let's thank a couple of our local business partners. Uh, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. You can now order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Also, thanks to uh, Architecture by Synthesis, where Mark Klipsham offers planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance homes and buildings. Architecture by Synthesis specializes in environmentally friendly designs, including highly insulated structures made from grain bins. All right, okay, so um, a quick overview of today's program. Later in the show, we'll be talking with Reverend Billy about Extinction Talk Radio. That will be interesting. We'll also be talking about some new concerns coming to light about abandoned pipelines. What happens when the pipeline stops working and the company decides to leave? Well, in some cases, farmers and landowners are getting stuck with the cleanup. We'll also talk with uh, Kat Herdina about uh, Texas and how they've been doing digging out of their huge weather event a couple weeks ago. And Phil James and Kathy Burns will join us to talk about uh, another aspect of urban gardening, no-till versus tilling. But first, it's my pleasure to welcome to the program Dave Marillo. Dave is a retired Des Moines police sergeant and a Trump voter. Dave, welcome. Good to be with you. Thank you. So, hey, uh, in a nutshell, what are your reasons for supporting Donald Trump? It wasn't about Trump so much, Ed. It was about his position on things that are, I think, near and dear to this country. Employment, low interest rates, uh, strong military, uh, supporting police, just the, the basic core service government functions that I think every American has a vested interest in or, or should have a vested interest in. And how, how do you feel about some of his more controversial remarks? You know, I, I've been in politics long enough to know that all politicians on both sides of the aisle say stupid things. <laughs> he said he said his share of dumb things. Obama did. Uh, George W. Bush did. I mean, they all do. And so I just kind of take that with a grain of salt. I, being in police work for 34 and a half years, you know, nasty words and nasty commentary and name calling uh, bounces right off me and falls off. I, I don't hurt my feelings one bit. I'm more focused on what he does versus what he says. Okay. And do you, do you feel that overall, would you say, I mean, this is just a, your observation, are, are police officers and law enforcement officials, generally speaking, more supportive of Trump than they were of Biden? Absolutely. Because uh, the, uh, the, Mainstream America, and I'm talking blue dog Dems, uh, moderate Dems, Republicans who are moderate, almost all of those type folks do support the police right now, and they, and they always have and they always will. And so, you know, there's been some controversy involved in the police profession. There's no doubt about that. But the Trump uh, administration did not vilify an entire profession like too many on the left on the Dem side have done. And they've, they've really burnt a lot of bridges. It's, it's, it's too bad that this has happened because the, uh, the actual uh, make and mistake uh, percentage ratio for the police profession is really, really, really low. Is it fair to say that, uh, that the left demonized the police department, uh, generally yeah. speaking? Really? Yeah, absolutely. I, wouldn't you well, say that just kind of a, a small selection? 
You saw you saw you saw a primetime example of that last night. Did you watch the Grammys? No. Okay, if, if, I I just happened to flip them through channels, and and there was a, a rap artist on the Grammys last night who's chanting anti-police slogans. It's his it's his presentation, if you will. Then actors portraying police during this rap song. Uh, they pretended to be arresting a black guy who resisted arrest, who got up and ran. They shot him. And they show his dead body laying in the street. And the same rapper then jumps up on top of a police car. So, yeah, the, the, the Democratic Party and the left and the radical left have done a magnificent job of attacking the people that we absolutely have to have. Well, that example is not the Democratic Party. That example is Hollywood. Yeah, that that's but Hollywood is part of it. Hollywood is perceived Ed, as being part of the Democratic Party, okay. yeah. and 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 like I didn't write that that uh, viewpoint. That's just the way it is. Yeah. So uh, I mean, you've got there seems to be a general consensus that there has been uh, a problem within not maybe not all police departments, but a lot of police departments where there is a racial bias. Is there anything is there anything legitimate about that perspective? Very, very, very little. I can only draw my experiences with the Des Moines Police Department. And if out of 34 and a half years there, I can tell you honestly, there was only one or two former, let me, let me say that again, former officers who I thought were, at, were actually racial bias. They, they, they had disdain for people of color. Uh, other than that, I was treated very, very well there, as were my other Hispanic officers, the black officers. Uh, what people don't want to understand is that police officers do a very good job of policing themselves. Uh, right now, you got one of the best chiefs of police Des Moines ever had in Dana Winger. He don't tolerate that stuff. He can, he, he can prove you did that. You're gone. Okay. And you are just just so people know more about your own background. You're a first generation uh, Mexican American. Yes. Yeah, I grew up in Valley Junction area, West Des Moines, uh, bilingual family. Uh, my my only regret growing up in a Latino household was had I had any idea my grandma making tortillas up against the stove was making something that later on in life people would buy by the dozen in a plastic bag. I wish I would have capitalized on that. <laughs> That's one entrepreneur deal that slipped right through my fingers. Well, I'm pretty sure your grandma's uh, tortillas uh, prepared right there on the stove were better than what anybody could find in oh, a plastic bag. I, I, I wish I wish I could give you guys some right now, slathered butter. You guys slipped. They were delicious. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm taking that as an offer, actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, you know, b b back to the, uh, I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement has gained a lot of attention, and again, there is a general sense that that there are there are there are problems of racial bias, systemic racial bias in in our system, not just within the in law enforcement, but uh, systemic bias, systemic bias throughout our yeah. system. I mean, and is, and here, here's where that is, Ed. You bring up a good point. I'm not gonna I'm not denouncing you know, all racial bias accusations and overtones. It, in government right now across the United States, be it state, federal, county, municipal, wherever, there is an institutional systemic bias because most people in government are headed up by non-persons of color. Very few people of color are in a government position where they can pull the trigger on making a decision, spending money, directing, firing, hiring. That's where a huge problem exists that we all collectively 
need to address, find out how to get that remedy. Because until that happens, that's how a lot of other things fall into place where people think that, that there's bias and prejudice because they're not involved in the decision-making process. Hey, so uh, back to uh, partisan politics for a minute here. You're a, a lifelong Republican, or is, uh, were you a Democrat in, in no, previous years? No, I was, a, I was a blue dog Democrat for most of my life. And then when, uh, what I call, this is just my own opinion, when I saw radicals pirate the Democratic Party that I once loved and was a part of, uh, I, I don't share a lot of their viewpoints and their, their operational policies, practices, and principles. So I became a Republican. That said, I'm not a right-winger or a left-winger. I'm a moderate. I'm a common-sense-based, moderate, conservative guy, regardless of party. So what, what radical uh, positions are you talking about? Well, there's a lot of radicalism in, in, in Democrat Party right now regarding always throwing out the race car. If you don't agree with them, everybody's a racist, a misogynist, you're sexist, blah, 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 blah. And it's almost like the... the, the uh, little boy crying wolf now. Every time uh, a Democratic operative, I'm talking in D.C. and other places, starts talking about anything, they almost always play the race card. And you know what? And here's here's the thing as a Hispanic that really, really ticks me off. Most of the racism accusations or race card carrying crusading is done by whites. It's done by white Democrats who are looking to butter their, their bread politically by purporting to be looking out for persons of color. And if you're a person of color, you just don't see a whole lot of fruit on the, on the tree branches from all this racial bickering. So a lot, a lot of what you're describing are more recent uh, developments within the uh, political universe. When did you actually switch from being a Democrat to voting Republican? That uh, was probably, if memory serves me right, it was probably... Uh, in the late nineties, I just, I just didn't like some of the things I was seeing and hearing and, and my concerns to my own party people was, seemed to be falling on deaf ears, you know, uh, politics seemed to be becoming more self-serving, more career oriented, more lifelong politician, if you will, and, and the people who put these people in place seem to be fallen by the wayside. So lifelong, lifelong, lifelong politicians like, say, Charles Grassley? Yeah. I, you know what? He's, he's, he's done. I, Charles Grassley's done some good things. Time for him to go. It's time for Nancy Pelosi to go. It's time for Schumer to go. It's time for anybody who's held office who now seems to be distant from the people they have purportedly represent or who put them in office. It's time for them to go. I support term limits in Congress. Yeah. That's, that place is crooked. It's crooked as a dog's hind leg. Were there any Democrats running in 2020 that you could have supported, uh, you know, the Democrats running for president? You know, maybe. I liked, uh, I liked that gal from Hawaii, uh, Kelsey. Tulsi Gabbard? Yeah, I liked her. Um, there were a few others. Their names escape me now. But, um, you know, I'm not a Biden supporter. And, uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of what I was fearful of with him now materialized. And so, uh, but there were that there were, there were a few that I could have supported. What distinguished Gabbard from other Democrats in your opinion? Military service track record of, uh, common sense, uh, not playing to any one certain, you know, left leaning group or organization. She just seemed pretty well grounded. Now, did I agree with everything she said? No, no, but I, I could respect her. She, 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 uh, she's done her time 
and I and I can respect that. And what's uh, what's President Biden doing now that is uh, not settling right with you? I, I, and I, I'm just and this isn't a partisan thing, Ed. It's it's my personal observations as a trained police officer. This guy has a lot of cognitive issues right now. They won't let him speak without a script. He's managed. He's walked off stage. Uh, last week, they cut him off when he said, let's take some questions. It's not his stuttering, because I would, I, everybody can stutter. Some people stutter more. This guy's, this guy's got a lot of, uh, he, he, he's got a lot of issues. You know, I don't, I don't know exactly what they are, but I, I'll tell you, my opinion is uh, t- uh, Kamala Harris is running this country, not, not Joe Biden. And uh, in terms of policy, are there policy initiatives they've, uh, they've um, unleashed that are, are, are problematic for you? Yeah, as a Hispanic, they've created a mess at the border. Okay, you you can't open our southern border to uh, tens of thousands of people and, and uh, expect to manage who's coming in our country, properly house them, uh, care for them. Uh, during the campaign, Biden basically said the southern borders are open. We're open for immigration. And now that's what's happening. There's there's just tons of people pouring into our country, and uh, it's a mess down there. And so that that was one of the biggest reasons why I, I didn't support Biden. Isn't that also the position of the libertarian and conservative group, uh, the Cato Institute, that uh, we should have an open border? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know what their position is. I just I can just tell you this: my grandparents came here legally. They immigrated here legally. They respected our immigration laws. And one of the proudest days of their lives was to get their U.S. citizenship papers. Uh, we, we're a country of laws, all laws. And there are laws that I don't like. Well, if there's laws you don't like, then run for office or support people who will change those. But right now, that's not happening in this country. Right now, it's, 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 it's Looney Tunes right now in this country. What's not working in Mexico or Guatemala or Honduras? Help them there, help themselves. That way they'll stay put. And the only the only way they come here is to visit relatives or to legally migrate if they want to change their venue. But they're not fleeing anything. Right. That's where we start. Yeah, and I think that's a really good observation. But isn't that pretty much a blanket condemnation of uh, U.S. policy in Latin America for the past 100 plus years? Well, I don't know what I don't know what's a blanket condemnation of policy. And all I know is that people are coming to the United States because we have a capitalist society, economy that operates well, and they're leaving their countries because they, for whatever reason, don't have something there, whether it's political safety and security, economic safety and security, health safety and security. I don't know. But we need to help them in their homes, homelands, have the same thing we have here. Well, one problem in in, uh, in Honduras and other uh, Central American countries south of south of Mexico is uh, climate change has had a huge impact on agriculture. The uh, the drought has been uh, extremely problematic, and of course that was uh, mixed in with um, those two back to back unprecedented hurricanes that hit the uh, the uh, the east coast of uh, Central America. What 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 should we do about the climate crisis? Well. I know that climate change is, is a, a big topic of discussion on both sides of the fence, right? Political fence right now. And I'm all for conservatism when it comes to buffer zones for agriculture and, you know, uh, fossil fuels. The sooner we can get on into electric cars and things like that, but it's gotta be done 
timely. It's got, it can't be anything that's rushed. Well, uh, Dave, I really enjoyed talking with you. Anything you'd like to add? No, I just think that we're a deeply divided country right now, Ed, and we need to find some middle ground on a lot of different formats ASAP, because if we don't, we're all heading towards falling off a big giant cliff. So I'd be more than happy to talk to you again about that. And I hope I can instill that in your listeners that we need to find middle ground quickly, politically. Right. Well, hey, Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Folks, we've been talking with Dave Marillo, retired Des Moines police sergeant and a a Trump voter and a, a guy that I've known a while. And he's a good guy. Dave, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. Hey, folks, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk with Reverend Billy Tallon about Extinction Talk Radio and what that is back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham has been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yup, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. Broadcasting from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks to our nonprofit partners who helped make this program possible. Thanks to Bold Iowa, building rural urban coalitions to address climate change, to prevent the abuse of eminent domain, and to protect Iowa's soil, air, and water. You can learn more at boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Get information about classes and workshops at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. That's birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. I would like to welcome to the program uh, Reverend Billy Tallon. Hello, Bill. How are you? Hello, Dr. Fallon. <laughs> Dr. Fallon. That's cute. <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> Reverend Billy, before we talk about Extinction Talk Radio, which I am fascinated by, let folks know what it is that you do. You've been around a long time. You were the uh, Church of Stop Shopping. That's interesting. Tell us about that. Well, we, uh, I say we, it's a group of about 40 singers and musicians here in New York City. Uh, we identified consumerism, the cultural enforcement arm of capitalism, as really the important thing to attack as as uh, caring loving progressive people we have to get people to stop shopping stop solving their loneliness or their insecurity their fear of death whatever <laughs> whatever that shopping disease comes from it's it's described again and again as two-thirds of the american economy and obviously it drives climate change habitat destruction and 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 other things that we don't like so much yeah. we have been uh, singing 
our unasked for anthems in Walmarts and Monsanto laboratories and uh, the lobbies of J.P. Morgan Chase and so forth uh, all these years. So this is kind of a contemporary version of Jesus with the whip in the uh, temple where the vendors have taken over. Well, yes, I, I want some of my my uh, Trumper Christian uh, relatives who live in Iowa to think of me as a, <laughs> I want them to think of me as a as a as a demonstration of driving the merchants out of the temple. But uh, we are from we're an immigrant New York group and we're from all over the world and generally in flight from fundamentalism. And I'm in flight from I'm in flight from uh, Dutch Calvinism, Mike. <laughs> Great grandparents met in Sioux Center, where uh, Rick Santorum and Cruz and all the rest of them go and get on their knees and ask them for the vote. Right. So you they they met in Iowa then. Yes. Okay. Yes. From the from I will note the most Republican county in Iowa. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's the cultural source. I'm sure that I'm. I'm stopping my shopping in response to my, my heritage. <laughs> so what, Bill, if, uh, if everybody stopped shopping, wouldn't that tank the economy? It would make uh, an economy in which we might be able to mitigate the impact of uh, the sixth extinction. I think Elizabeth Colbert would endorse that statement. Bill McKibben and the other people that have, talk, have talked to us about extinction. We need hyper-local economies like the kind that are sponsoring this show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, birds and bees in the backyard in bold Iowa. There we go. Uh, you know, that's that's not fossil fuel uh, industry there. That is no. uh, Pro organic, regenerative. Uh, you see the cycle of the energy in front of you. And when you go to a counter at a small shop, you know the person's name and you see the money you give that person circle around and benefit you in another part of the economy. So so don't not to stop shopping altogether, just stop shopping at the industries that are are, are basically ruining our environment, but also ruining the opportunity for small business entrepreneurs to get a foothold. Thank you, Ed. You know, that's a that's an important distinction to make. I we have we have made evil the phrase shopping for so many years that I forget that it's not a bad word for a lot of people. So thank you for making that distinction. So back to the word extinction. Yes, we are, as scientists point out, in the midst of the sixth uh, great extinction on a planet that is a mere four billion years old. Uh, and there, there has arisen in, in England and other places a group called Extinction Rebellion, which is starting to gain more traction in the U.S., and you've got an, uh, an effort called Extinction Talk Radio, and I'm attracted to that on a couple levels. I'm concerned about extinction, and I'm enamored with talk radio. Tell us more about <laughs> Extinction Talk Radio, Billy. Well, at 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoons uh, on an Internet uh, URL, uh, RadioValencia.fm, uh, we hold forth for two hours. And we're trying to bring, ah, what's the phrase, demystify. Uh, extinction, which is something that Americans don't like to talk about at all. We talk about a row of tragic things happening kind of in the foreground, climate change chief among them, but habitat destruction, overpopulation, you know, uh, industrial farming is something we talk about in Iowa a lot. Uh, so, uh, but uniting all of the mother of all those issues is extinction itself. And we don't, we don't raise that issue very often. Um, and I think there's, there's a there's a deep reason for that that I haven't quite my, put my finger on. Um, it it might be that we're still 
whatever religion we have, we're still a religious country here in the United States. And we have an idea of eternal life. We have an idea of, of the promised land and the Garden of Eden and the flight from, from Egypt. And we, we have these narratives built into our souls, right, baked into our DNA. And I think, I think possibly the idea of extinction is to admit that the earth has a lot of power. Is it also uh, possibly that extinction is almost too big of a concept for us to grasp, you know, wrap our minds around? I mean, uh, biologically, we're more, we're more wired to fear the tiger that might immediately attack us than the volcano that could eventually erupt and bury our village. And extinction is more in that category, the category of volcano, whereas uh, COVID pandemic is more in the category of tiger. Well, that's... I would, I would, uh, without without arguing with you at all, I agree with you completely. But I would also say, just to elaborate, the reason that we're about we're in the middle of the sixth extinction now, losing hundreds of species every week, as Professor E. O. Wilson would tell us, and Elizabeth Colbert and some of the other people that are explaining this to us, we have uh, endangered the tiger. I, I, we're right. working on a song in the in the Church of Stop Shopping Gospel Choir. Tiger, tiger, burning bright. We're, we're trying to make an adjustment on the William Blake, uh, the famous William Blake poem. Uh, we are making, we are, we are the only, out of the six extinctions, we're the only, this is the only extinction where a species on the earth was the cause. We're killing all the other species. And that, that is altering our, our eco-state uh, tragically, and ultimately we will follow the animals and plants that we're killing. What do you say to people who say, well, you're overreacting, Billy. It's, uh, yeah, we can see that these species are going extinct, but, uh, you know, some of them, you know, things are always going extinct. We're not going to miss, well, we'll miss some of them. We'll miss the, the, big, the big rhinos. I don't know. But, uh, you know, some people are just going to say, okay, well, that's just the way it happens. Not much we can do about it. How do you respond to that? That's a, that's a traditional Republican uh, idea that evolution is survival of the fittest, and we're the fittest, and we're surviving. Um, no, actually, any scientist in the natural sciences will, will, will say, no, we can't live with other life. We cannot live without other life. We have, to have, we have to have life around us. We depend in a million ways on the life around us. Now, consumerism, getting back to shopping, consumerism teaches us that our ecosystem is products. And we choose to live by the products we choose to buy and that we're supposed to sustain ourselves that way. Now, I live in the middle of 25 million people here. You know, if you include <laughs> the satellites around New York, Connecticut, Long Island, Jersey. Uh, and, you know, uh, the idea that we're a part of life gets pushed away. You can get in the middle of Prospect Park or Central Park and you can still see skyscrapers. So uh, it's, it's uh, for some of us, now you, you people in Iowa, I think, of, I think of Iowa as having taken a real hit and it's uh, the, the Iowa friends I have and relatives have been pushed farther away from the natural ecosystems by the presence of glyphosates. Uh, the, the flowers and uh, the shelter belts, they're not the same as they were. And thank God there's an increasing percentage now of organic farming in Iowa so that we have more of the natural ecosystems coming back, rising out of the ravines, coming up the ditches. Um, I think eventually Iowa is going to make a big comeback, but it is famous for being the state in which this is Vilsack, Mr. Monsanto coming to us, the state which has per acre the highest saturation 
of Monsanto's Roundup. Yeah. Well, we we certainly are the most altered landscape. That's uh, that's for sure. Hey, uh, Billy, I got to run to a break. Um, I really appreciate you joining us again. We've been talking with uh, Reverend Bill Tallon uh, with the uh, Church of uh, Stop Shopping and also a new initiative, the Extinction Talk Radio and uh, program. Again, Billy, when can people catch the uh, catch Extinction Talk Radio? Sunday afternoons, and I think uh, think that would be noon in Iowa. Yes. And but I know that you're far flung. You're all over the world. You just have to check your check your daylight savings and so forth. But it's one a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you go to Radio Valencia. Got it. Radio Capital V Valencia. And by one a.m. Uh, you mean one p.m. FM. By one a.m. you mean one p.m. Correct. Did I say one a.m.? Yes. Well, I'm I'm not drunk, but I am I am forgetful. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. You're Hallelujah. welcome. Thank you, Billy. Take care. Hey, folks. When we come back, we're going to be talking about how farmers and landowners, some of them, are getting stuck with the cost of cleaning up abandoned pipelines. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Markets Rewards Program is now free for all Gateway shoppers. You can sign up in person or via Gateway's online shopping site to earn points by shopping in person and online. Redeem those points for discounts at the time of your purchase. The program is valid for everything except catering or cafe purchases. And Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Hosfinley. You can also enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates, too. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Business partners, including Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or just call Dr. Holding at 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. In Iowa, in South Dakota, North Dakota, Illinois, we are all well familiar with the Dakota Access Pipeline and how that company worked with landowners and farmers. Basically, um, I know there are some people who had a good relationship with them, but the number of people who were dealt with with lies, misinformation, uh, factually fraudulent stuff is too long to list. And now a new problem comes to light thanks to this story by Kate Wheeling in Nexus Media entitled, uh, In the U.S., Private Residents End Up Footing the Bill to Prevent Further Eyesores and Pollution. Uh, Oil and gas companies are making old pipelines the landowner's problem. The story focuses on a guy named David Howell. Um, He's a a contractor. He got got a call from a landowner in Texas. Uh, this, uh, This landowner had 300 feet of an old pipeline, an oil pipeline, uh, buried under his property. It was, um, again, abandoned, wasn't being used, 
and the area around that pipeline had kind of fallen into disrepair, shrubs, trees, and there were signs, well, there used to be signs, but they were either completely gone or so faded they really didn't amount to much. And this guy, this landowner, this guy wanted to build, he wanted to build something. I, I'm not sure whether it was a home or barn or whatever. He wanted to build at the side of that pipeline, so he wanted to have it removed. So he calls Howell, and Howell says, I can do that. Yeah, I can uh, do it for $1,000. Okay, there are two catches here. First of all, <laughs> catch number one, uh, there was no clause in this landowner's agreement with the pipeline company uh, regarding what to do when that pipeline is no longer used, which is called, of course, abandonment. So again, the company had no responsibility to remove it. It was entirely on the landowner's dime. He had to pay for it. And so, okay, he's thinking, okay, $1,000, yeah, not fair that I got stuck with it, but I can do that, except for, drumroll, catch two. Catch number two is this. The landowner has to ask the, he has to ask the oil company's permission to remove the pipeline. He can't just do it. It's on his land. It was made, it was years ago. I mean, it's so old. People have forgotten about it. The signs are down. It's all overgrown with shrubbery. But he still has to ask the pipeline company for permission to remove that. Okay, there's actually three catches. This gets even better. By better, I mean worse. The company said, okay, sure, you can remove it. It's okay with us. But then it said the landowner has to use a contractor of its choosing. And guess what? That contractor was going to charge the landowner 50 grand. 50 grand as opposed to $1,000. This is just, this is absurd. This is absolutely ridiculous. So what would you do? Well, I would have done what the landowner did. He sold the property instead of having to deal with the pipeline or the pipeline company. Okay, so I would like to tell you this is an isolated incident. But here's, quoting Howell, I get a call every week from some landowner who says, I got an abandoned pipeline. Can you come take it out? Okay, continuing with, continuing with what Howell says, quote, basically pipeline workers are putting a pipeline on some schmuck's property and leaving it there. And that's happening all over the U.S. Hundreds of thousands of miles of pipeline have been just abandoned on people's property. And so that's, you know, these are old pipelines. And I, when, when I walked across the proposed route of the Dakota Access Pipeline in Iowa, oh, Ben, gee, what is it? six years ago now, you know, I, 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 I ran into some of those situations, pipelines that had been laid a long time ago, including an oil pipeline that used to run north through Iowa to a, a uh, terminal in Minneapolis or Minnesota, rather. And so, you know, that one was abandoned. <laughs> but you know, that, that's just one example. They are, they're all over the place. And what about these new ones? You know, the, these new pipelines could easily be abandoned a lot sooner than the 50 or 60 years that some of these other ones were laid. I mean, a lot of these pipelines were put in back in the, you know, before 1970. Me and Joe Biden once talked about this. Uh, check out Bold Iowa's website for details about that. But, uh, yeah, half of all the gas lines in this country were, were, were put in before 1970, and they have a lifespan of 50 years. Let's do the math, shall we? 80, 90, 2000, 10, 20. Oh, look at that, 50 years. Their life span is up. And so we're going to be seeing more and more of this. And the problem is a lot of landowners didn't get a clause in their, uh, their, e their easement, 
And again, in many cases, they were forced to accommodate the oil and or gas company. They were forced to provide that easement. You know, and, and sometimes it was done through eminent domain. As we saw he, here in Iowa, I mean, lots of landowners refused all the way up to the very end and then had their land taken by eminent domain. And, uh, you know, and every uh, one thing I one thing I learned when I was walking the pipeline route is the pipeline company did not want neighbors talking to neighbors. And one service I was able to provide was to spread gossip. <laughs> well, by gossip, I mean true information that the pipeline company was withholding from landowners. So, for example, I could say, OK, um, yeah, the uh, landowner, you know, 20 miles down the road, he or she got, you know, 36 uh, um, 36,000 bucks an acre. Uh, so yeah, maybe you should hold out for that or, or 20. It really, it really varied. And again, the pipeline company would always start by saying, by saying, we'll give you six grand an acre, you know? So anyway, there was other things that they didn't want you to know as well. Uh, and, and, and I think this is, this is part of the problem here. So landowners that were clever enough or maybe had enough resources to hire a lawyer, they might have been able to get something in their agreement that said, okay, when this, when this pipeline is abandoned, you will be responsible. You, meaning the pipeline company, will be responsible. But I bet a lot of them didn't because most, most of them didn't. If you look at the research done in preparation for this, again, excellent article. Uh, most landowners who signed these easements with gas or oil pipeline companies did not, do not have a provision regarding what to do when that pipeline is abandoned. And again, not only are these older pipelines being abandoned, again, 50-year lifespan on a pipeline put in before 1970, that thing is due, that's done. And so, you know, these new ones though, as oil and gas and coal go the way of the dinosaurs, yeah, fossil fuel, pun intended, even the newer ones are going to be problematic. And some landowners are going to just want them to remain there. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, there are good reasons why you might want to have them removed. You know, I mean, I, I, I understand, too. You're going to come in and tear up the, the land again. A lot of, a lot, that, was a lot, that was a problem for a lot of landowners in Iowa. They saw their land being turned upside down, the subsoil mixed with the topsoil, um, and there was one property north of Des Moines here where an agronomist came out and said, yeah, your land is pretty much ruined for nine years. You're not going to get any kind of reasonable return on your, uh, you're, you're not going to get the kind of crop, you know, um, crop yields you're used to. But what else? Well, sinkholes. This happens. Sinkholes can form because pipelines corrode and collapse. Um, you might have a pipeline with, you know, residual fossil fuel in it. Um, that could leak into the into the area's uh, soil or water, um, aging long aging lines that are along you know rivers, under rivers, under lakes. Those could be a you know particularly bad problem. So there are plenty of reasons why a landowner might want that pipeline removed, even if it's you know even if it even if the people removing it don't understand how to take care of the soil. Maybe the trick there is to make sure that's in the agreement up front and that there is clear compensation if they do it wrong. So anyway, this is just fascinating to me. Another reason why pipelines are a bad idea. And I know a lot of the focus of the Dakota Access Pipeline has been on North Dakota and the incredibly important work done by the Standing Rock Tribe. 
But again, we had landowners and farmers in Iowa standing up to this company. And here's a piece I bet most of them haven't even thought of because I didn't think of it until I saw this piece um, by, uh, by Kate Wheeling um, in Nexus Media. Check it out, folks. Great story. Oil and gas companies are making old pipelines the landowner's problem. We'll be back in a minute with more conversation here on the Fallon Forum. As Kat Herdina joins us, we're going to talk more about Texas because Texas is digging out from the polar vortex, but not so much with a lot of help from the government, but with individuals and businesses really pitching in. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Broadcast from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa, aka the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Thanks to our local business partners, including, speaking of culture, Noche Jazz and Cabaret, uh, Iowa's premier jazz club featuring both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas Finley. Noche also has a cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. Check out Noche Jazz and Cabaret. Well, I would like to welcome to the program uh, Sherry Herdina's sister. Sherry is our producer. Her sister is Kat Herdina. She lives in Austin, Texas. She is, alas, also an accordion player. Uh, don't hold that against her. She's not, she, <laughs> she's, she's not as uh, passionately, uh, yet as I understand, not as passionately involved with the accordion as I am. Maybe there's still hope for you, Kat. I hope so. <laughs> I'm counting on it. <laughs> so, and you, um, and, and you work... Uh, Remind me where you work, Kat. <laughs> sure. Uh, I work for a Holder's Provision Company, uh, Outfitters. They're kind of like an Outfitters for outdoor stores, toys, gifts, camping and travel and big, national park-minded right. group, group of folks. Mm -hmm. And like everyone in Texas, you enjoyed, or endured is a better word, a recent weather event, compliments of the polar vortex, compliments of uh, a changing climate, that sent temperatures down to, I believe, 8 degrees in Austin, Texas, along with... What six inches of snow? Um, yes, yes. That what was that had to be really hard to deal with. Well, kind of going into it, I don't feel like any of us knew the extent that it would would impact us. You know, I was thinking, all right, well, you know, we might get a snow day from work. One of my friends who was looking a little bit more thought maybe we wouldn't be at work all week. But <laughs> uh, I went over to my companion's place to weather the storm and. You know, kind of the first morning, we were starting to hear about people's power going out, including uh, some of our friends. 
and kind of as the day wore on, there was a bunch of snows. It was exciting. We don't get that amount yeah. here. Exciting, but in a very dangerous way for a lot of people. I mean, you hear stories of, uh, of people without power, without water for days on end. You hear stories of, of, of electric bills in the thousands of dollars. I mean, that's just, that's unthinkable. Uh, I, yes. And I'm very fortunate. We only had to deal with the hot water pipes frozen. So we retained power and water the whole time. Many of our friends were out of power for up 24 hours, up to four days, and some without water during that time as well. And there was always, even though we kept it, there was always that, you know, are we going to lose power? And the houses aren't insulated here. People are not equipped for that kind of thing. So it grew spookier and spookier to realize how much the city was out of power and water. I mean, here up in the north, we are well prepared and accustomed to temperatures a lot colder than 8 degrees. Uh, Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it had to be, I mean, that, that had to be, if not a record in terms of temperature and snowfall, it had to be close to a record. Yes, I believe there was only other, one other uh, comparable storm that, that had the sustained kind of temperatures and weather events. Yeah, and so what is, uh, and again, I understand, too, that in Austin things are back to normal at this point? As far as my perspective, all the things that uh, and the people that I know, yes, have gotten back to normal is in terms of restored power and water. How about in the rural areas? I have not gotten a current update on that. Within the last couple of weeks, I've heard reports from friends who say that it could be several weeks before water is properly restored. And we know that uh, originally Governor Abbott and others in Texas tried to blame the whole power grid collapse on wind turbines which we in Iowa and other places pointed out um, was silly. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. How, how has the government's response been since? Has, has it been adequate to the task? Well, fortunately, I wasn't dependent on specific government relief for this, but I feel like there was an overall sense of a, a lack of leadership and efficiency on the political level, and especially when Senator Cruz was reported to have flown off to Cancun with his family while the rest of us were still without power and water. I think that was a disappointment for a lot of people to, to put it one way. And me thinks that you using the word disappointment is an understatement there. <laughs> yes, you read that correctly. Thank you. <laughs> I suspect that Ted Cruz is going to have some long-term fall ba- fallout from, from that really poor decision. Yeah, it's definitely something, I think, for us to think about when we consider our elected officials. And so in terms of response to the uh, the, the, the weather event uh, and in terms of connecting it to the climate crisis, which, again, scientific, science is doing, it seems like yes. the government has fallen down on that task. But so who's filling the void? Who's stepping in to provide the leadership that you would expect to come from government? You know, after 12 years in Texas, consistently, half-jokingly, also half-not-jokingly, the local Texas grocery store chain, H-E-B, has done an incredible amount, in specifically in this weather event, but in the pandemic was kind of one where it really kind of hit home how much specifically this one grocery store is doing, uh, also in Hurricane Harvey, just with disaster relief. But also the community steps up a lot. Like when restaurants had to shut down during the pandemic at first, they were still working to prepare meals for people not leaving homes. Everybody shifted to curbside. The community and local businesses incredibly step up. And also, you know, people, regular citizens buying groceries for their elderly neighbors Mm. or 
so community some private businesses have, have really stepped up also so what what did HEB do specifically relevant to the problems impacted by the by the polar vortex unfortunately some of the stores lost power and had to shut down but there was one incident where shoppers were currently shopping in the HEB when the power went off and just kind of quietly at the cash registers when people came up HEB was telling them that they could leave without paying. Oh, wow. that was that was a good example. Yeah, they kind of shift shift production and what they're doing. So, for example, they, HEB always carries like uh, supplies, uh, warehouses with emergency water, things people would need in events such as this. So they've already kind of got that stored. And I haven't read as many articles on the polar vortex, but pre-Hurricane Harvey, Ah. like a a few days in advance, you know, stores were not stocking up on the like frozen foods and and things that could be impact or like fresh flowers that you wouldn't need as much, but we're stocking up on canned goods and things that would be more helpful in a disaster relief setting. So mm. they, sh- they shift what they're ordering in the stores before the incident is occurring, if they're able to predict it. Right. Huh. So it's likely, I mean, what climate science is saying is that uh, there are going to be more severe weather events everywhere. We had our, our incredible derecho here in Iowa last year. And yes. of course, the wildfire season, worst ever in California. The Atlantic hurricane and tropical storm season, worst ever. Uh, 2020 itself, the warmest year on record, tied for, I believe, 2016. And so uh, it, it's just, it's not a mystery. It's not a secret. It's not, um, it's not an opinion mm-hmm. anymore. It's a fact. These weather events are going to continue to happen. You had Harvey. You had the polar vortex. Uh, who knows what's next for Texas, but... Um, some weather event is going to mess with Texas. And is, yep. there, is there hope that government is going to uh, begin to respond more effectively? I mean, and perhaps, you know, companies like HEB and some of the other businesses that have provided leadership, maybe they have an ear to the government that, that would cause them to listen and to be better prepared. I would hope so. I think that would be, I don't know about the prob- probability. I, I feel like a lot of people kind of are feeling a little bit jaded about the government, but around my workplace, we were joking, it's all right, HEB will save us. Uh, (laughs) And in fact, uh, Greg Jefferson, the business editor of San Antonio Express News said, quote, so many Texans look to HEB almost as a de facto arm of government. And (laughs) that feels accurate. Well, and that's, uh, (laughs) there's definitely a role for the business community, the academic community, the nonprofit community, the religious community to step forward into into a void when there is a disaster. But yeah, you, know, you, you have to have. I mean, government is us. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a big fan of big government. But I think there at some level, whether it's state, federal, local, um, municipal, uh, county level, there has to be an involvement. And uh, and I, I I'd love to see that happen in Texas. I, you know, it's hard to know who's going to get hit next and who's going to hit hard, but. Yeah, Texas certainly is uh, <laughs> has shown that it is not invulnerable when it comes to climate change. That's very true. I'm I'm hoping that what we as voters can gain from this is an appreciation of how our contribution at the ballot box can affect what happens to us, and maybe we can be a little more aware, and maybe we can make choices that may 
help as we navigate climate change and in the future. Yeah. Hey, Kat, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on it. Folks, we have been talking with Kat Herdina in Austin, Texas, about the recent uh, phenomenal weather event that hit the, the entire state of Texas with uh, unprecedented cold and snow. Uh, we'll be back in a couple minutes here. Uh, Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farms is going to join us. We're going to talk about something else you can do in preparation for the changing climate, and that is growing your own food. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. broadcast from the heart of Des Moines, the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, thanks to our local business partners, including our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe. Gateway Markets Rewards Program is now free for all Gateway shoppers. You can sign up in person or via Gateway's online site to earn points by shopping in person and online. You can redeem those points for discounts at the time of your purchase. The program is valid to everything except for catering and cafe purchases. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. We would like to welcome Kathy Burns to the program and Phil James. Phil James and I go way back. Uh, the three of us are passionate about urban farming. We might have a couple different things in mind when it comes to best practices. Today, we're going to discuss no-till versus tilling. I'm not going to fight you, Ed. <laughs> you know, uh, Phil, I find that refreshing because so, so many people these days who have a difference of opinion on practices or beliefs, they do want to fight. So maybe we'll just all cool it and listen to each other and learn. How about that? Well, well, that, that's fine. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that, that that I'm wrong, but I... I <laughs> Of course you're but not. Yeah, no problem. Actually, we don't want you to. How did you get into no-till farming? Yeah, well, you know, a couple of years ago, um, I I just came across some some really cool videos by a a guy in, in the south of England by the name of Charles Dowding. And Charles, um, he's been practicing uh, no-till gardening for 35-ish years. Um, and... You know, he, he basically, what you know, the idea is you, you basically start with a bare patch of ground, say grass or whatever, you mow it down, put cardboard on top, and then add your compost, and then uh, the soil does the rest. Um, and, you know, he's, he's got the results to prove it. Um, 
No, but, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's, it's, uh, you can get results in a million different ways. You can get results from killing. You can get results from, you know, uh, from no-till. You can get results from, uh, you know, container gardening. You can get results from, you know, a, a million different ways. And the, the, the fact is, is that, you know, uh, people are just out there growing food. So I don't want to get, I don't want to get to the point where, you know, I'm, I'm not a purist in that sense. I just do it because it's, uh, it's a lot less work. And so we, we don't use the rototiller. We have about 60 beds, and we do it all with a spade. How does that stack up in your assessment uh, in the realm of possibilities for how one manages one's soil? No-till, spade-till, rototiller. Well, it's all about the flow of carbon through the food web, right? So you basically have your solar panels, your plants. They're collecting sunlight, adding all that, those exudates into the soil, and basically communicating with the bacteria, the fungi, and all that stuff, you know, that, and it's, it's basically telling the soil, hey, I need this, I need this, I need this. And all that stuff, that stuff happens regardless if you till or not. It just happens better if you don't till. Um, because it's kind of like you're like Godzilla, right, uh, coming through there with a, a big, you know, backhoe, uh, you know, not a backhoe, but you're, 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 you know, tilling it up with a hoe, mm-hmm. um, and basically you're you are you're destroying all that fungal hyphae, all that mycorrhiza fungi, um, all the really great things about about soil, the the nematodes, the earthwor- the earthworms, uh, the protozoa, okay. and that's the, there's there's basically an entire cycle of life happening. You know, in every handful of soil, there are over seven to ten billion. Um, uh, little tiny, you know, microorganisms just hanging out. And um, so everything around us, the, the birds, the, the insects, you know, the sort of larger predator, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it, they feed on each other all the way down to the tiniest of tiny um, microorganisms, which, you know, they've been around for 4 billion years. If the rototiller is Godzilla... <laughs> And um, yes. and no till is the is the is the is the dove is, is the piece of the piece dove. What is uh, what is tilling with a spade? Well, I, I mean, what you're doing is you're you're you know all those all those micro those mycorrhiza networks. And what we know from plants, from a tree, for example, a tree, the very tip top of a tree, let's say fifty feet in the air, and that leaf is is trying to build something that requires, let's say calcium or boron it sends a a signal which is just blows my mind if you think about it it sends a signal and within 90 seconds it talks to the the uh the mycorrhiza fungi and the bacteria in the soil um, via a an exudate so it basically creates that through photosynthesis and it sends a chemical into the soil to tell those bacteria to go find it some boron so what you're doing when you're tilling is you're cutting up that that the, the those pathways so that the bacteria um, might not have it's just a little bit more difficult to find that calcium. Phil, for so, people uh, for yeah, people ahead. interested in just you know trying this out, they just they just want to try out maybe a bed or two with a no-till method. Um, you're saying just leave the ground alone and put compost on top. How much depth of compost or soil do you need to put in that bed bef- so that your roots of that plant are going to be able to get down 
into the earth, um, you know, if, if you haven't done anything to, to soften that soil up underneath for them, how, how much, just from a very practical standpoint, how many inches of soil do you need? Yeah, I would start off with some organic material at the very base. So before you put your cardboard down, I would start off with some either some grass clippings or some alfalfa or uh, manure. Um, it's something I know Ed's very familiar with. He's, oh, he I, I love manure. Uh, I love manure. <laughs> we, get, we collect a yeah. lot of manure every year. <laughs> Some people tell yeah, me no. I am, so, so I am so full of manure. Lay, Some people tell me and that. Then, and then you put the, the cardboard down. Um, you know, the, the earthworms love cardboard, and uh, so they're attracted to it. Uh, I don't know what it is about it, but they, they love it. You wet that down on the top, then you add your four to five inches of four to five on inches. Top. Okay. That's how Charles Dowdy does it. Okay, um, but, let, but, let's, but let's say you've got you've you've got a bed that's been going for four or five years. Um, at some point, it's going to become compact, and so why not use a spade to simulate the natural rototilling that goes on with with um, gophers and moles and voles and worms? Isn't isn't at some point a minimal amount of turning the soil? With a spade, not a bad idea. Well, see, that's a beautiful part about it is there 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 won't be the compaction. You're actually going to retain a lot more water, and you're you're going to increase the uh, you know the maneuverability of water and nutrients through this through the soil if you don't till. It's kind of the the uh, I know it's it sounds unbelievable, but uh, but you know the the soil the, the, the microorganisms in the soil will do all that work for you. They basically just they, they say, okay, well, I, you know, I, I guess I need to, to, to find, this is what uh, uh, the gloomin in, um, in mycorrhizal fungi do, which is basically a glue-like material that creates little pathways for roots to go down. Hmm. As you break those things up, um, it, makes it, it, it makes it so that, that, that uh, you're not able to, uh, the roots aren't able to go through. And also that you're not able to find those pathways that um, that you can your your roots can't you know can find new, new nutrients. Phil, we got it. We got to wrap up the show. I really thank yeah, you for joining us, uh, folks. We've been talking with Phil James, uh, fellow um, organic urban gardener, with uh, some great ideas. Who's done his homework? Hey, thanks again for joining us today. Thanks to our guests, uh, Dave Morello, Reverend Billy. Cat uh, Herdina, Phil James, and Kathy Burns, and thanks to our sponsors, our nonprofit and business sponsors. Thanks to uh, our um, production team of uh, Kathy Burns and Sherry Herdina. Hope you'll stick with us, folks, and uh, come back and join us next week here on the Fallon Forum. <laughs>